funny thing. I never met Trump Ricochet myself either. But it's kind of a strange thing because when you study with the students of Trunk Ricochet, it kind of feels like you're in a family where like you have like a bunch of older brothers and sisters and like maybe you didn't know your dad, but because like everybody else that you <laughs> knew there was like, you know, like the, the children of your father, you kind of feel like, yeah, that's my dad. So I kind of feel like it's the same thing with Trump Ricochet, that even though I didn't meet him personally, I kind of feel like um, he was my teacher because um, I was around all of the people that were his students. And I studied with uh, so many um, great and amazing teachers who were people that were you know, um, students that had been practicing for a long time and then become you know, teachers themselves who were practicing this tradition. So, <clears throat> um, I say that because I, I want you to appreciate what it is that you have here. I want you to understand how fortunate you are. And not only that, but it's that now it comes to the point where it's going to be passed on. It's that, you know, there's a generation of teachers who was teaching, and I'm thinking about this myself, you know, that were teaching me. There were students of Trunk Rocher, and they were teaching me. And then the teachings have been passed on to me, and now somehow I'm responsible for, for communicating these things to people, which is, you know, kind of wild. I never thought I would be in this position myself of being the one to communicate these things. But at a certain point, you feel like you're, you have so much gratitude for the fact that you receive something so precious that, yeah, that's just what you do. You know, you just communicate something that's going to help other people as best you can, and. You probably start off stumbling quite a bit. Nong can attest to probably all of that. <laughs> when I first got to Thailand and I started teaching here, I was just a beginning. Uh, I mean, I had just become a meditation instructor, you know. And like in terms of the people that I was, sort of, um, you know, receiving teachings from and studying with, and and the senior teachers that I was around, you know, in, in Boulder, Colorado, you know, there was lots of really great teachers. I didn't have a place to be teaching there, but I wanted to, kind of in a way, because I felt like maybe I have something to contribute, you know, like maybe I have something that I can, can add. Maybe my um, unique way of putting it can communicate something genuine to people that, you know, are, um, um, that are interested, you know, in, in this type of thing. Um, and so anyways, you know, we end up in this situation, and uh, here we are in Thailand, and we have this lineage of, of Trump Rinpoche, and this beautiful space that um, is communicating the Dharma of Trump Rinpoche, and this special lineage of Shambhala, which is not the same, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's unique, it's not the same as other, there's a lot of different practice lineages of Buddhism, you know, there's a lot, there's, I mean, this is the land of um, Thai Buddhism, Theravada Buddhism, um, you know, and there's lots of Zen, and then there's all kinds of other stuff, and there's, you know, um, anything and everything. But um, if there's something that, it's, it's interesting because you, it's, like, it's almost like an accident, you know, like you find yourself um, at a place like this, and you think, eh, it's just random. I don't know, it just is like, Where's the place to meditate? All right, Avalokita, let's go there. Right? But uh, 
think about it, actually, it's something that's interesting about it is not random, maybe. That it's like karma. You know, it's a karmic connection. Ultimately, if you are have karmic affinity, if you have a connection, if this types of this type of teaching resonates with you, it's because you have a karmic connection with this lineage, with these teachers, with this type of practice. And you may not have found your home yet. Um, you may still be searching, which is fine. Um, and there's nothing wrong with searching and trying lots of different things. And you should, before you figure out, before you commit you know, to a certain practice lineage, you should definitely check out a lot of different things and kind of see like what makes sense to you. But at a certain point, then, you do have to make a decision, you know? You can't continue on in the spiritual uh, marketplace of being a shopper, you know, for sampling all kinds of different things, because it doesn't really take you very far. You know, ultimately, if you want to go far, if you, have, if you want to go deep, I mean, you have to commit to something. And when you commit to something, you commit to a lineage, you commit to, um, um, you know, to a certain tradition, you know, then that commitment in and of itself is the thing that puts you through your changes. So, something to think about, um, but for those of you that have that kind of feeling of connection, that feeling of resonance, and that feeling like this is your home, or something about it, you know, that's like, um, it's, it speaks to you, um, there's something about it that just feels right, you know, it's like you can't quite put a finger on it, but there's something that feels right, and it's the connection to the, the Sangha and the teachers. So Sangha also and the teachers. So, um, I thought it'd be good to get, before we get into the, too much in the topic of the, what I'm going to explain to you tonight, so I want to talk a little bit tonight about the path of Shambhala and explain a little bit about the, um, um, you know, the, the kind of progression of the, the the symbolism of the tiger, lion, and the Garuda, and the dragon, and how that communicates the different aspect of warriorship, and bravery, and dignity, and gentleness, and all of those things that we said that Scott was going to talk about when I agreed to talk here. <laughs> so I'll say um, something about that stuff, but I thought it'd be good to do a little movement first. So I'd like to walk you through a little um, a movement exercise called Shamatha Yoga, if you all are up for it. Um, I'll just say a few words about it first. It's a very simple yoga practice, which is basically just designed for practicing for people who are meditation practitioners to move a little bit, stretch a little bit, help to kind of loosen up some of the muscles that um, are makes it a little bit more comfortable to sit. Um, it's nothing too strenuous. Everybody can do it. And we also bring the same principles we do in our meditation practice into um, this yoga practice, which is that you bring your mindfulness and awareness to it. So as we're going through the postures, you notice your mind wandering, you come back, come back to the feeling of the postures. And also the um, part about being kind to yourself and gentle to yourself. So nobody cares how good you did the pose and how great you looked doing it. <laughs> the important thing is to be where you're at, to be with yourself, to be kind to yourself and gentle to yourself and just keep it relevant to your, your body. If you have any injuries or anything like that, you know, just don't push it. 
Okay, so everyone stands up and let's find a little place on uh, space on the floor. Um, not standing on the cushion, but standing on the wood. And if you're wearing socks, it's good to take your socks off so you don't slip. to the ground beneath you, the floor below you. So it's that feeling of being rooted. So take a minute and really feel that. The earth is supporting you right now. Even though we're up here on the ninth floor, the earth is supporting you. Gravity is holding you in place. You can afford to let go. I want to close your eyes here. So letting go means that you trust in the gravity of the situation. You can afford to let go whatever that you're holding on to, thinking about, whatever's going on mentally, whatever it is in your mind. And also let go of anything that you're holding on to in your body. So now I want you to tune into your body, feeling your feet, starting with your feet, your toes, noticing if there's any tension anywhere that you're unnecessarily holding and see if you can relax it. And moving your way up your feet, your ankles, just shining the light of awareness into the different parts of your body as we're moving through by feeling, checking in, letting go of any tension, anything that feels tight. Coming up your legs to your knees. Relaxing, releasing. And then up your legs to your buttocks. Keep checking in. Relaxing anything that feels tense. Being kind to yourself. Just give yourself, give yourself a break. Just totally relax. Here we can let it all go. Noticing if you're holding on to any tension in your buttocks, if you're holding on to any tension in your abdomen, your lower back. These are all places where people hold tension sometimes, not knowing it, letting go, relaxing, releasing. Moving your way up your rib cage. There's a lot going on here with your internal organs. See if there's anything that's calling your attention. See if you can relax it.
feel good. Feel good just feeling your body as we're going through. Feeling totally relaxed, releasing any tension, coming up to your shoulders, your chest. tips of your fingers and coming back up to your neck, relaxing and releasing the tension, holding on to your neck, and then coming up your head, relaxing your face, letting go of any facial expression. Don't need to have any let it all go. Your lips, your nose, your eyes, your cheeks. Totally relaxed. Your ears, your jaw, most importantly. Relaxing your jaw. Coming up to the top of your head. Relaxing. Even the hair follicles on the top of your head can relax. <clears throat> and now bringing your attention to the feeling of sensation that you're experiencing throughout your body, all connected together from the tips of your toes through the tips of your fingers. how there's just an energetic flow of your body, the entire connected system of working, interrelated parts and pieces all in harmony together, communicating together, relaxed and released. You can feel the tingling sensation of your skin contact with the air, contact with the air, and then opening your eyes, and now the next posture is called Great Eastern Sun, and inhaling, reaching your arms up, reaching up, and then joining your palms together and looking up at your thumbs. And then next one, gathering the mind, bringing the hands down to the heart center, and Anjali Mudra. And then next one is offering, so moving into a forward bend here. 
So you can shift your weight a little bit from left to right and explore the sensation of any tight muscles in your legs or your back. You can alternate bend, slightly bending your left and right knee. Letting go of your head so that your neck, your head and your neck are just heavy hanging. Just breathing into whatever sensation you feel, so being curious here about anything that feels tight, tense, uncomfortable, being gentle and curious, looking, willing to experience it even if it's not comfortable, in a very gentle way, being kind to yourself. And then inhaling, curling your vertebrae up one by one, till you're all the way back from right standing, hands on the hips, <coughs> courage. Right foot out for warrior, so it's a nice wide stance. Right foot's out, left foot's in at a 45 degree angle, and then lunging into your left knee, squaring the hips towards the right knee, and then inhaling and reaching your arms up and look up at your thumbs. So keeping your left heel rooting into the floor, and a few breaths here. Breathing into whatever sensations you're feeling. And then exhale and release. And over to the left side. Left foot's out. Right foot's in at a 45 degree angle. Squaring the hips towards the left knee. Lunging into the left knee. And then inhale, reaching your arms up. Looking up at your thumbs. Keeping your right foot firmly planted on the floor. Moving that right foot into the floor. That helps you lunge stretch. Breathing into the sensations. And then exhale and release. Okay, and then the next one is bowing to the four directions. So we start with a wide stance, feet parallel, hands on the hips, and then inhale, lengthening your spine, and then exhale, folding forward. So keep your knees, um, your legs straight in this one. But you can alternate shifting your weight a little bit from left side to right side, exploring the sensations of whatever tight muscles you're feeling, whatever intensity there is there, breathing into it, being curious about it, being gentle with it. Then inhaling, back up, and then slight back bend here. So what we're going to do is really root your feet into the floor, grounding through your sit bone, your tailbone, pushing down, and then slight back bend, gazing down the tip of the nose. So it's that rooting of your feet into the floor that gives it. So right foot's out, left foot's in at 45 degree angle, inhaling, uh, sorry, squaring your hips towards the right knee, and then inhaling, lengthening, exhaling, folding out over your right knee. So both legs are straight in this pose, breathing into the sensation, whatever you feel. 
be with it. And then inhaling back up. And then over to the left side. Screwing the hips towards the left knee. Inhale, lengthening. And then exhale, folding out over the left knee. few breaths here. If it feels intense, breathe deep. And then inhaling back up. And then feet back to the center. And then Garuda. So on the right side. Sorry, uh, Garuda with the arms spread. Right foot's out, left foot center to 45 degree angle, spreading your arms. And then inhale, reaching to the right hand. And then exhale, holding. So your right hand comes onto your right shin. And left hand is straight up, pointing straight up towards the ceiling. And then you can either look down at your foot or up at your thumb, depending on how balanced you feel here. Two breaths here. <clears throat> left foot's out, right foot's in at a 45 degree angle, spreading your arms, and then inhale, reaching with your left hand, exhaling, folding left hand on your left chin, and right hand is pointing straight up towards the It's a nice stretch for your torso here. Look at your thumb, if it's okay for your neck. So, uh, right foot's out, left foot's in at a 45 degree angle, squaring the hips towards the right knee, and starting with the hands on the hips, and then reaching your left hand up, and then folding forward so your left hand comes onto your right shin. Your right hand can stay on your back here, and then we're just twisting and turning to look up. And if this feels okay, then you can also reach your right hand up toward the ceiling and look up at your thumb. If not, keep your, just keep your right hand on your back. And still twist with your hand on your back. Okay? <laughs> Alright, and then exhale, release, and over to the other side. Okay, so left foot's out, right foot's in at a 45 degree angle, squaring the hips towards the left knee. And then right hand up, and exhaling, folding. So your right hand comes onto your left knee. Left hand either stays on your back here, twisting and turning. If you feel like you're going to fall over when you're looking up, look down at your foot instead. That's the, that's the trick to regaining your balance. Breathing into the sensations. And then exhaling. <laughs> Coming back to center, bringing your feet back to hip stance, and then inhaling, arms up, palms together, looking up at your thumbs, and then 
hands come down to your heart center, down to the mantra, and then just setting your hands apart. And now, relaxing your stance, and the last is radiating out. So right now I want you to contact your sense perceptions. Sight, sound, taste, touch, hearing. Feel the contact of your skin of the air around you radiating out. Letting go of your internal reference point. Feeling your awareness radiating out into the space. We are in direct contact and interconnected with everything around us. in your mind with space. And then we can close with a bow. Okay, good. Yeah? You yeah. sweat? <laughs> is this normal? It's normal, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure you're not the only one. Questions about the um, Shamatha Yoga practice? Before we move on, I recognize you. I recognize you. We met before, I think. Yeah, you look familiar. <laughs> Are you sure? Really? So let's talk about uh, basic uh, meditation instruction. The starting point of any meditation in this tradition, in Shamala, say, um, is the view of basic goodness. And it seems like something really simple, and it seems like, yeah, yeah, what's the point? I kind of thought that when I first was studying this stuff. Because the first um, level of the Shamala training weekends, this practice path basically, um, is introduction to basic goodness. And um, so the notion of basic goodness is that we all have a fundamental um, nature, that our core nature, our true reality, our nature is sanity and wisdom and strength, and compassion, um, basic goodness. So, um, beyond good and bad, 
you know, that there's some, that really, that, that we're not fundamentally deficient in any way. That's the starting point of meditation practice. You're not, there's nothing that's fundamentally wrong with you. <laughs> it's one thing, you know, to hear that, and it's another thing to internalize that. And, yeah, because we all, I mean, we live in a society where there's always, always something saying, ah, oh, you need to fix this, you need to fix that, if only you were better in this way, if you only had this thing, then you would feel good, then you would be happy. Everything, think about it, everything in the world around us is always telling us that we're somehow deficient in some kind of way. Thailand, there's a lot of plastic surgery going on. You know, I mean, there's lots of, pro lots of problems, right? Everywhere, you know, the drugs that are going to fix you, and, uh, you know, just the, and when you think about it, too, we also have this nagging kind of feeling a lot of times, like, I'm not good enough. We think to ourselves that all the time. We think, I'm not good enough. We have this nagging feeling. I, I was getting ready for this talk, and I was thinking to myself, I don't know what I'm going to say. Maybe they're not. Maybe I'm going to lose my you know, like, train of thought. Maybe they're not going to like uh, um, like what I have to say, or maybe I'm not going to do a good job or something like that. And I'm like, that's basic goodness right there. It's exactly it. It's like we have to come. We 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 have to go through the internal journey of processing our own experience of it in order to come to understand, do you trust yourself or not? Do you believe that you're fundamentally deficient or not? Because these teachings, Trump Rinpoche brought these teachings from Tibet, and he said all beings are basically good. He came from a place where there was genocide. He came from a place where the um, there, you know, these the Chinese communists invaded, they were killing the, killing the monks, they destroyed the monasteries, he came out of that situation, and then he came to the West, and he said, all beings are basically good. What kind of guy does that? <laughs> that's radical, you know? That's, that's radical. Most people wouldn't come out of a situation of genocide saying all beings are basically good. But that's what he said, and that's what he believed. You know, and that's what he taught, and that's the starting point of our meditation practices, that there's nothing that's fundamentally wrong with you that you're trying to fix by meditating. You're already sane. You're already wise. Yes, we have a lot of problems, a lot of confusion, a lot of rampant um, discursiveness, and it's causing tons of problems for us. But it's just that. It's the rampant discursiveness. It's the um, obsessive-compulsive thinking disorder. <laughs> but it's not anything that's fundamentally wrong with you. You can let your mind settle and come to come to know your fundamental nature of peace, to know the sanity that's in you, the sanity that you were born with, the compassion, the wisdom, the strength, everything. We're all, we're all different, you know. Your basic goodness is going to be a little bit different than yours because we all have our own expression of it, which is what makes it fun, makes it interesting. But that's the starting point to the teachings, basic goodness. So we take that, um, and from that starting point, then we have the path of warriorship. Um, and so we use. Have you guys seen the tiger, lion, and Garuda and dragon? The the pictures of them or the illustrations of them. People. Some people have seen it. Yeah. Okay. 
So, um, the tiger, lion, garuda, dragon is kind of like the overview that gives us the kind of lay of the land of the training, um, of the warriorship training. So, why do we call it warriorship training? Uh, <laughs> um, because it takes a lot of bravery to do that work, um, you know, to be willing to be with yourself and to be willing to go through all of that, um, you know, to, to sit with all of that, all of those feelings of your nervous tension and anxiety, and to sit with all of the tendencies to search for, reach for some form of entertainment or another, and, you know, to, to really come to know yourself. So that's what it is. It's coming to know yourself. The whole thing about practicing meditation is it's coming, becoming friends with yourself. It's about befriending yourself, who you are. Nobody can like you for you. You have to learn to like yourself by knowing yourself. And through the practice of meditation, you start to see all of the things that are going on in your mind because you don't have a choice. <laughs> it's right in front of your face. <clears throat> So like it or not, there it is, all of the things, all of your bad habits and, and all of the great things about you too. But so the question is then is like, can you learn to like yourself? Can you be kind to yourself? Can you learn to love yourself? Can you accept yourself? And then can you actually really just be proud of being who you are? You know? Yes, we all have our own we all have our problems and we all have our our, um, our work to do and we start to know that ourselves, you know, like this is my these are the things that hook me. The meditation practice teaches us how these are the things that grab me and hook me. And some things, like the, you know, your thoughts come up and your mind is wandering you know, about certain things, and it's like, no big deal. It's no problem. I can let it pass. And there's other things that really get us, right? And they get our claws in us, and then we really get hooked by those things. And then we're you know, flying, off, flying off the handle. You know, the things that, re that really... Um, um, you know, have that where we have our you know deep kind of karmic um, whatever you know about certain certain things, certain areas. So that's all the internal work you know that we're all doing when we sit on the meditation cushion is getting to know all of that stuff, seeing all of it clearly, and being kind to yourself through it, being gentle with yourself through it. There is no other way through it except for being kind to yourself and being gentle with yourself. And you're not going to have real compassion ever until you have compassion for yourself. That's for sure. If you think that you're going to be hard on yourself, mean to yourself, talk bad to yourself, and be kind of like, uh, you know, and then you're going to be kind to other people, it's not real. <laughs> real compassion always starts with you learning how to forgive yourself, learning how to be kind to yourself. You understand what I mean? Forgive yourself. Sometimes it's really hard for people to understand. I mean, I'm not saying you guys are different than me. I'm saying everybody... It's so hard for people, hard to understand. Sometimes it's hard to understand, you know, that you have to forgive yourself. And if you can really forgive yourself, then you can really forgive other people too. You can learn, really learn to be compassionate. So that's the starting. And then um, we talk about the, the path in terms of the four dignities. So tiger is the mindful discernment is the practice of meditation teaches us mindfulness. It teaches us to slow down. 
and it teaches us to be present in the moment. So the tiger moves slowly through the jungle. He places his paw with care. He doesn't just run around in circles frantically. You know, he's meek. The tiger is meek. And so he looks around and he surveys the situation before he just, you know, before he pounces. When he pounces, he pounces with energy and exertion because he's surveyed the situation. He's awake. He's mindful. He knows the lay of the land, you know. He scoped it out first. So the meekness of the tiger is the humbleness that we have that um, we get through the meditation practice through paying attention, you know, just by paying attention. So the less we are caught up in our um, own mind and thinking about ourselves, the less self-involved we are, basically, the more we start to notice and take in the world around us and start to see things outside of us. Make sense? Basic? Um, so the meekness of the tiger. And that um, noticing things outside of us then starts to pique our curiosity, you know, start to be interested in those things, and we start to appreciate things, start to see the beauty of the world around us, and we start to notice uh, the magic, really, you know, of the world around us. And that appreciation then leads to contentment. When we appreciate things, then we feel content. When we don't appreciate things, and we always think something else out there is going to satisfy us, you know, but when we appreciate what we have, then we start to feel content. We start to feel good in, our, in, and, our, in and of ourselves. We start to feel self-contained. We don't need to be running around in circles all the time, you know, searching for another thing that we think is going to fulfill us. We start to realize that there, that um, chase, you know, that frantic chase of, you know, like trying to find something always to... Um, make us feel better is really just an endless pursuit that it just keeps going and going and going and going. The nature of desire is to want. The more you want, the more, more you want, <laughs> basically. You know, that's just how it works. It keeps going and going and going and going. <clears throat> so, appreciation mean, equals contentment. We start to appreciate the world around us because we slow down enough to actually look and see it. When we can actually look and see it, and we can appreciate it. <clears throat> so contentment, the contentment of the tiger, is the meekness of the tiger. Okay? Um, and then uh, we have the snow lion. So the next dignity, lion or snow lion, is the well. The, the the depiction is like the snow lion is in the highland peaks and meadows. It's the it's the cool, um, fresh air, you know, of being up in the higher altitudes. And so there's that notion of it being this of freshness. It's the freshness of the experience of that that we get. From, from paying attention, from basic goodness, that from 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 really being alive, you know, from really noticing the, and and paying attention to the world around us, then there's that notion of freshness, of opening up, um, and it's the acknowledgement of other. 
So the less self-contained we are, there's the noticing of the things outside in the world, but then there's also the noticing of other and the noticing that, that we're not so just worried about ourselves all the time, but that we care about other people because we notice them, because we notice that they we notice the problems and we know we have we care and concern, you know, for other people. That comes the it comes naturally that we start to feel our heart. You know, and when we start to feel our heart, then the care and concern for other people is a natural outcome. It's a natural byproduct of that. And so the other thing is that it's the, um, the that um, the picture of the highland meadows and the snow lion is leaping from peak to peak is that it's a it's a jo very joyous um, kind of experience of being fresh, the fresh feeling of being alive, as opposed to that kind of sleepwalking feeling of being in our habitual mind and our habits and our comfort zone all the time. <laughs> Something a little bit terrifying about it, but there's a freshness to it and an aliveness to it of like really being in contact with reality, you know? Not just hiding out in your comfort zone. So that's the snow lion. And the snow lion is in the in the higher higher the highland meadows, which is an analogous to the um, um, to the to the virtue. It's the recognition that um, virtue um, is um, that virtue virtue is the thing that um, elevates our state of mind. That virtue is the thing that brings us happiness. That discipline um, that. Discipline is actually the thing that um, brings us joy. Whereas before, we might have been thinking that joy was somehow, or freedom, you know, came from just doing whatever we wanted. But here, our train, we're training enough to, the, to realize that it's actually the container of discipline that gives our life the meaning and the feeling of joy. We know that when we've done what we need to do, and when we've, we're really, when we're taking care of ourselves, you know, when we're being good to ourselves, you know, when we've, um, when we've laid healthy boundaries for ourselves, you know, when we have limits for ourselves, when we know what those are, you know, when we have discipline, then we feel joy. It's because of discipline that we feel joy. It's not that we have to do something. It's actually, there's a joyfulness that comes out of the discipline. When we sit and meditate for three hours, somehow we get up after it and we feel good. <laughs> it's kind of weird, right? You're like, I, I, most people wouldn't think that that would happen. Most people would think, I know, no way I would want to meditate for three hours. <clears throat> I would be suffering or something. But we come out of it and we feel joy because of discipline. It's discipline that brings joy. So it's the, um, the, the virtue and the discipline um, that is the cultivation of compassion, and it's um, the notion here is the of the warrior bodhisattva. So, open heart is bodhicitta. So we start to open our heart, which is the notion of bodhicitta, and we start to care um, for other people, and we start to realize that there's kind of you know that there's there are some things you know that there's some kind of ground rules you know that are. Um, 
about caring for other people. There are some, there are some ways, you know, that we have to give up our own domain, our own territory, and um, not just only get whatever we want for ourselves. You know, if we really care about other people. So we start to talk about the the paramitas. Start to talk about um, the notion of, of um, patience and discipline and exertion and um, generosity and wisdom and um, those type of things. So there's an outward um, aspect of it, and then there's also an inward aspect of it. Um, <clears throat> and there's an aspiring phase of, of bodhicitta, and there's an entering phase of bodhicitta, but basically it's all about cultivating compassion and actualizing compassion. So there's the, the, in, the inward um, turning of it is, is that we aspire. We, it takes work, you know, the compassion doesn't just come, most of us aren't just born with it, you know, like we have that innate nature, but it's something that we can cultivate, it's something that we can grow, and we can do the practices of that help us to cultivate compassion. That it takes a bit of practice in order to get us out of our habitual mindset and into the place, you know, where we can actually be a benefit, where we're kind of doing the right things. So the paramitas are the kind of the ground rules for that to teach us like how how to how how to behave. So basically it all it all comes down to knowing what to accept and reject. Discipline always comes down to knowing what to accept and what to reject. When we know what to accept and what to reject, then things become really clear. It's the confusion about knowing what to accept and what to reject that is the really hard thing. More we get clear in our own mind about what the consequences of our actions are, about how our interaction with the world works, the more we start, the more that we're clear about what are the things we need to accept and what are the things we need to reject. And there isn't any really easy way to just say like you should do this and should do that. I mean, they have a lot of, you know, there's different kinds of codes of conduct and stuff like that. But basically, it all comes down to virtue. You know, we know we know in and of ourselves what's virtuous, what leads, um, you know, to an elevated state of mind for us. Virtue leads to us feeling better. When you act virtuously, you feel better. You have less burden with you. You have less um, burden that you're carrying around with you. You don't feel terrible when you go to bed at night, you know, because you know you're acting. You know you did your best to do the right thing. You know, that's what I'm talking. That's the path of the slow line, is that virtuous conduct, which leads you to feeling joy. You do your best, and you and you will. You can and you will do your best, you know, in order to help others as much as you can, because it's just the right thing to do. Because it feels good, it makes you happy. All this time we're searching for how the fuck am I going to get happy? <laughs> I want to be happy. I want to be happy. Everyone's in those shopping malls. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what? <laughs> it's about benefiting other people. That's actually what makes us happy. It's a really strange thing, but when you actually do something that's beneficial and helpful to another person, you don't do it because you think that you're going to get happy, but the surprise thing is, is that you do get happy. You start to feel better. If you felt like shit for a long time, then you start to know that when you've done something that's really good for another person, you didn't do it out of selfish concern, then you start to feel good. It's a really amazing thing. <laughs> I'm 
sure you've all tried it <laughs> and do more of it. So that's the, that's the snow line. And then the Garuda, um, Perky, so the snow, sorry, the snow line is Perky. Perky. And then Garuda is outrageous. Okay, so the Garuda is this notion of this mythical bird, right, that, um, that, that is born um, uh, fully grown and can fly without ever having to land. Everybody knows about the Garuda in Thailand. <laughs> the land of the Garuda. But the notion of Garuda here is outrageous. Um, that it's going beyond concept. So the conceptual mind can only take us so far. Um, but it's also the realistic um, the realistic you know, realization that everything is impermanent. Everything comes to an end. We look outside of the, at the world outside of us and we look at ourselves, and it's all everything that has a beginning has an ending. It means everybody that you know is going to die. Everything that's built is going to eventually, you know, have an ending to it. Um, everybody that you love is going to die, and you're going to die. Your body is going to be a corpse. Sorry to say. It's just sometimes we have really nice bodies, but <laughs> it's going to be an end to it. So you have to ask yourself, what are you going to do? I mean, you don't know when the end is going to be. And you don't know when the end is going to be for anybody that you care about either. There's no way to really predict these things. We can't stop it. It just happens. And so you've got a certain amount of time, and how do you want to live your life? What do you want to do with the time that you have? What's important to you? Garuda is outrageous because it says that reality is true, that death could come any time. And during this time, the time that I have left, I want to spend it doing you know, whatever I can to be of benefit. <coughs> Beyond the limits um, of impermanence and death, the Garuda is unafraid. So the reason why um, it's called the path of warriorship is because at a certain point it becomes really clear that really all of this journey is about confronting fear. It's all about noticing how it's really scary to be in that groundless space of non-conceptual mind and not knowing. So what meditation is doing for us is it's putting into this free fall all the time where we're learning to let go, we're learning to let go. We let go of the crutches and all of the things of our cocoon, all of our habits, all of our habitual patterns, all of our conceptual overlay, all of our prejudices about the world, and then we have direct contact with it, and we, then we have fear. Because it's, you know, it seems cool sometimes to experience that, but not always. <laughs> we always have to have that. And we, we all have experiences of it, you know, it's like that momentary kind of like terror of like, wow, my normal reference points of how I relate to reality are just suddenly gone. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I feel weird, like, because I don't quite know what to say. I'm a little bit shaky. I'm a little bit uncomfortable. I'm like, um, I'm, you know, we, when we're so used to our habitual patterns, it just kind of like, 
we're on autopilot, you know, we just want to do but we don't want to be on autopilot. We're, we're learning to wake up. Life is about learning to wake up. It's about turning off autopilot and taking control of the wheel. And so you're out there and you're like, uh, I don't know how I'm going to react because I'm, you know, the autopilot is turned off and then you can't get it back on again. <laughs> it doesn't go back on again. <laughs> Surprise, it doesn't go back on again. I mean, it comes back eventually because our habits are really strong. But, you know, we have those moments of terror. And so it all comes down to being able to relate to fear. You're going to freak out when you experience that free fall of, concept of the conceptual mind and being in space, in the space of not knowing, basically. That's what we're talking about. It's about the space of not knowing. So being comfortable with just not knowing the answer. We always think we have to know the answer to everything. But that's a dead way to live. We don't know the answer to everything. Everything's not always black and white. If you actually can just remain in that space of uncertainty for a little bit, then there's an aliveness. There's a vibrancy, frequency, you know, of something happening in it. We don't know. It's scary. We don't know what it's going to be. And we want to control it. <laughs> we keep trying to manipulate it, and we keep trying to control it, and we keep wanting to work out the way that we want it to turn out for us, for our benefit. And then we have to let go. So Garuda is outrageous because just is soaring through that space of that non-conceptual mind and um, doesn't need a reference point. And then there starts to be a re revelation that confidence isn't about confirmation from somewhere else. It's about you just believing in yourself. We always are looking to other people, to, am, I, am I doing okay? Do I do you like me? <laughs> it's normal. I mean, it's great to have people that love us and confirm us and make us feel good and all that stuff. But ultimately, confidence comes down to you. Do you believe in yourself? Ultimate confidence is not about any kind of validation from any external reference point at all. So that's what happens when you let go of your conceptual reference points and you face your own fear. It's not a fearlessness. It's not about um, like blowing past it or like getting over it or pretending like you don't notice it. It's about being willing to actually be with the fear, the terror, and not just take, not just step away from it, you know? Not just turn away, not just try to get rid of it. To just actually be willing to experience it. It's really hard. We all, we all have to go through that. We all have to try that. We all have to experience that. And you feel shameful, you know? It feels shameful to experience fear. We feel like, I'm so stupid. Like, why, why do I feel fear? I feel so stupid to feel, ex to be, I feel so ashamed of myself and embarrassed of myself that I feel fear. But guess what? There's no other way except for through it. Just be willing to feel it. And do it anyways. Talk to that person, you know? <clears throat> Feel the fear, and then be willing to do it. Be willing to go through it. Don't. Everybody feels fear, that's the thing. 
the only the only question is is whether you're going to be on the side of one of the ones who's trying to hide it and deny it, or whether you're willing to actually feel it and face it. And when you feel it and face it, then you get stronger. So, fearlessness comes from facing your fear. <clears throat> I used to be really scared every time I would give a talk to. <laughs> now it's a little bit easier. But especially in front of a, really like in front of a large group of people, that's really, it's really terrifying, it's really hard. <clears throat> Even going out, you know, like uh, going out and like uh, being around people and like in like party scene and stuff like that, like I started going out because um, I noticed that it wasn't easy for me. I started going out and going out to party and stuff like that because it was challenging. It's challenging to be like in that situation, like not really kind of knowing knowing what to do, you know, and being around um, um, anything that challenges you, basically that pushes you outside of your comfort zone, is something that's worth looking at, something that's worth exploring. It's everything that keeps us inside of our comfort zone, and I'm not saying don't take care of yourself, you know, I'm not saying you have to become like a um, adrenaline junkie or something like that. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous, right? <laughs> but um, everything that takes you outside of your comfort zone is worthwhile because there's a lot of things that we just, you know, if we're willing to kind of step, uh, take ourselves a, a little bit further, step outside of a little bit to face our fear, you know, then we start to grow. So that's Garuda. And then Dragon is talking about um, the wisdom. Um, of the, you know, of really um, feeling our, um, really knowing yourself and really um, feeling comfortable with space, Re comfortable with being just in the space of not knowing, then there's kind of a dance and a play to it. So the dragon is the manifestation of that, that wisdom um, and space are inseparable, that, um, the dragon is a, this mythical creature, right? It can go up into the sky and soar in space and it can breathe fire, but it also can go down into the water and it can go down into the earth, into the ground, you know? So it's not afraid to relate to any situations at all. Because you, you, have, you relate to the things that need to be related to, you know? Coming from the place of wisdom is that um, the whole of your experience and the whole of your life, that there's nothing that's outside of our practice, you know, at that point. Everything is part of your practice. Dragon is the dignity of wisdom and action. <clears throat> um, it's, it's about how we can manifest in the world as warriors, how we can manifest, how we can dance and play with the, play in the space. That there's a kind of fluidity to it, you know, and that movement is good and that there's um, and that it's necessary, you know, that it's not just a dead end, that we don't just reach this place of being in a non-conceptual mind 
and then dissolve into space or give up or transcend. Okay? The notion of dragon is that warriorship is not about transcending the world. It's about full engagement with the world in a fearless, compassionate, and wise way. kind of radical. Dragon is um, inscrutable. Dragon is inscrutable. Inscrutable. It's an interesting word. The dignity of warriorship, dragon, is inscrutable. I see what it's say about inscrutable. I'm just going to read something here from this state, the state of inscrutability. It's based on fearlessness, um, gentleness and compassion lead to a sense of humor. It's not s static, it's movement, swaying, dancing, playful, joyous, methodical, free from depression. And just like the seasons, there is predictability within the context of unpredictability. Remaining solid and relaxed at once, and confidence that needs no confirmation. So it's a state of open fearlessness, which is free from longing and doubt, but at the same time, very interested in the movements of the world. Uh, because no, reaff no reaffirmation or feedback is required, the master warrior is beyond concepts and settled in self-existing confidence. The warrior is unfathomable or inscrutable from the perspective of conceptual mind. It's wisdom that transcends planning, scheming, or theorizing or affirmation. It's not conventional or predictable wisdom. So it's talking about intuitive wisdom, right? Talking about us tapping into our intuitive wisdom. So um, yeah, it's not something that we can get from a book. It's something that we get from being in direct contact with reality. So because we're in direct contact with reality, the world around us speaks to us, communicates with us. The world is always communicating with us. We're just not listening most of the time. <laughs> but there's always messages that are coming in from the, from the world around us, you know. There's always wisdom that's coming in from the world around us that we can, that if we perceive it, then we start to see this is the way to go. This is what's next. This is what's needed. This is what's necessary. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, the, the language of the phenomenal world speaks in signs. 
but um, it's not easy to interpret the signs. So we have to be really paying attention. We have to be really fully present. We have to be actually there. <clears throat> so that's your job, should you choose to accept it. <laughs> to be fully awake and aware, and to perceive the, um, yeah, perceive. And you know, we start where we're at. We start where we are. The most important thing is we start where we are. You know, we're not pretending to be something else. Pretending doesn't work at all. It's pretending that gets us into all the trouble. Actually, the, the biggest strength of the warrior is genuineness. The biggest strength, the superpower of warriorship is genuineness, actually. Because it's not about pretending to be anything. It's just about allowing yourself to be really comfortable and fine and love who you are, you know, and then um, you don't have to pretend to be anything to anybody. And that has a lot of power to it. Genuineness communicates, you know, it makes connections, it makes contacts, it, it um, makes um, allies, you know, it, it helps other people to learn to be um, genuine, because if you can be genuine, and you you don't you know you're not acting fake and you're not pretending, you know, then it helps them also to learn how to do it too. So then you start kind of creating like a kind of like a sh shock waves, you know, like of of it's okay to just be yourself. It's okay to be genuine. <clears throat> um, so that's really the thing about it, and. Um, not only that, but this communication and being in contact with direct contact with reality also puts us into um, this, uh, um, puts us into position to be able to tap into, tune into the energies of the phenomenal world. So the question of warriorship then at a certain point becomes, how are we going to have the strength and the energy to carry on? How are we going to have the strength and energy to continue on this journey, to actually make it? So. The amazing thing about the Shambhala teachings is that it's all about um, connecting, contacting, utilizing energy. It's about your energy of your body, which we call wind horse. It's about having a strong energy of your own body. You know, you need that strong energy. And there's a, there's a way, and part of it's by being genuine, you know, really. A big part of that is there's just that alignment, you know, of energy that we get just from being genuine in and, in and of ourselves, from loving ourselves, caring about ourselves, treating ourselves well, you know, and we start our body like it becomes in harmony, you know, and then we the, the things start to line up and it's like, you know, there's a, it's wind horse, you know, it's the elemental um, power of the, um, of the mind, you know, it's the wind energy of the body, um, so we need that personal strength, you know, of our own wind horse, and then we can also tap into it and tune into it and connect it, you know, with it in the world around us, too. That's what we're doing here when we set up an elegant space, is we're tapping into the, um, to the drala, you know, we're tapping into the, um, the magnetism, you know, of the natural world that's around us, because when we're in harmony with the world around us, 
then things just work out. Things just line up. You know, things like magically happen. You know, somehow it just like connects. Somehow it just works. Somehow we just have this like amazing, you know, like luck of everything just kind of starts going in our, you know, in our favor. You know, <clears throat> so Trump Rinpoche was a mastermind of this, a mastermind of it, absolutely. And he was, you know, designed everything basically in the way that the meditation halls are set up um, with the banners and with the elegance and stuff like that, flower arrangements. He was a mastermind of understanding how anything that's aesthetic, you know, can be a way to magnetize space. And the more that we have magnetized space, the more we create that kind of opening for a wake mind, you know, to, to come, to be present. And so we can do that in, our, in and of ourselves, in the way that we take care of ourselves, when we dress nicely, when we put on uplifted clothes, you know, we feel good, we feel dignified, we feel confident, and then it creates that internal kind of resonance and that, that magnetism, you know, within ourselves, um, and it conveys to the world around us, and it's something, you know, people look at us and they're like, wow, something going on there, you know, that, that person is like, got the... Something. But it's not about ego, right? It's about you, because this is the important thing, you know? It's not about ego. At this level, it's not about ego. It's about how we can use the energies of the world around us and, you know, within us in order to wake up, in order to, to make this journey real, in order to make it happen. And we need all the help we can get. All the help we can get, it's really hard. I've been practicing for 30 years or something like that now, and I can tell you it's really hard. <clears throat> a lot of people stop meditating, um, a lot of people give up, and there's a lot of challenges and difficulties along the way. And the more you go, the more challenges and difficulties you face, and the stronger you have to be in order to keep facing them, and it's like... <laughs> but luckily there's that joy and that, you know, of the journey and everything like that too, so... Um, but yeah, we need all the help we can get. So, you know, the more we can, you know, line up kind of the auspicious coincidences, connect with the elemental magic of the phenomenal world, you know, and stuff like that, and help things to try to move and go in our favor, because we're doing it for the benefit of others, you know, because what it's all about is acting in the benefit of others. Then the better off we're going to be and the easier it's going to be. All right, so I think um, at this point I'd like to see if there's any questions and open it up to you guys to chat for a bit. Yeah. Uh, when you say things got hotter as you practice like meditations and, and lots of people just fall out and not continue, you, can you help? Because I'm very new to this and never know that I can do like these stuff but starting that I can probably do, but after hearing that it's getting difficult and more difficult as time goes by, kind of. Okay, there's a saying that says, the Dharma is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. Yeah. And it's worthwhile every step of the way. <clears throat> so can you share like, what kind of challenges people might face? Was it physical, mentally, or? Well, I mean, I don't know, I guess you say that it really comes down to mental because, you know, it's just hard to face yourself. You know, I mean, we get to a certain point sometimes and then, like, it seems like it's just too much. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why we 
just look at your resistance to your meditation practice, you know? Look at the resistance that you have. Look at the reasons why you tell yourself, like, oh, no, 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 not, not going to meditate today. Um, and the difficulty that you have just sitting, sitting and getting down to the meditation cushion, you know, there's something going on with the, the challenge of just meeting yourself as you are, of being with yourself as you are, of being willing to sit with your nervous anxiety and your, um, you know, that feeling of like, um, just kind of tension in your body and stuff like that. So I, you know, that's why we keep emphasizing over and over and over and over and over again, be kind to yourself, you know, totally relax your body as much as you can. I mean, you keep an upright posture in the meditation, you know, but try to relax as much as possible. And it, being kind and being gentle to yourself are the, really the keys. Because it's just that we come up against our own demons and we come up against our own um, blockages and our own things that we don't want to face, you know. And for everybody it's different. Everybody has their own version of that. fundamentally deficient in any way, you know. Um, you know, it's a very personal journey, you know, that you have, that we each have to go through for ourselves, of learning to know, getting to know yourself. There's no bypass. The, the saying is, words don't cook rice. You have to sit on the meditation cushion and go through the process yourself. There is no shortcut. You have to know yourself get to know yourself very well through that practice. And then you all, you know, you come, you come to, um, you know, the point of, of looking at yourself and you have to ask yourself the question like, do I, you know, do I want to accept myself? Do I want to love myself? You know? Or am I going to believe what the haters say about me or something like that, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, even if it's the version in your own head of your, I'm not good enough, I know. But why? Why are you listening to that voice that's saying, I'm not good enough, you know? But, you know, being real with it and being honest about it and actually saying, I feel that, that's the starting point. It's not, we're not talking about, like, you know, smoothing it over and, like, put this Shamala lotion on it and make it perfumed with some kind of a... <laughs> Shambhala perfume. Get the Shambhala perfume. Christian Dior. <laughs> <coughs> Anyone 
trying to say something else? Yeah, something else? Or is that it? Clear? Yeah, okay. clear. Thank you. All right.
normal is a myth. So I'd say embrace your weirdness. <laughs> trying to be normal. Anyone else? About the four dignities, uh, like we, we understand like the four characteristics of the four animals, and like we, uh, I used to learn about Chambala three years ago, and like we identify ourselves that we are more a snow lion, or we more and then when we already know ourselves, then we have to keep balance of the four, right? Do you have any uh, specific uh, practice to keep balance all the four dignities? Or how, how should we uh, emphasize on this understanding about the four dignities? Um, well, there's, uh, I mean, I'm basically just trying to summarize, you know, like, um, these are, f there's like five, uh, four five-week courses that are just in the, you know, like, sorry, five, five five-week courses, you know, that are study courses that we cover in detail, everything that I was just explaining to you here tonight. Plus, there's the weekend trainings that go along with them. And then, plus, after that, then there's the, you know, um, Train, there's another levels of trainings and other things and retreats and stuff that you can do and all kinds of um, really helpful practices that you can be introduced to and stuff like that. But it's all kind of a graduated path, you know? So you have to go through it if you want to learn more about it and how to practice that. So there's a training on yeah. each, uh -huh. each dignity <clears throat> and to, to balance all. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. the five. There's the five everyday life courses that we teach in the um, Shambhala um, curriculum, the way of Shambhala curriculum, and then they they coincide with the weekend courses. And we have one of the first the first weekend course, uh, the Art of Being Human. We have one coming up at the Shambhala Center on the weekend of October twenty first, twenty second, twenty third, something like that. Coming up in like two weeks. That's in Thailand? Yeah, in our center here at uh, Asok, sorry, 23. Oh, that's cool. Uh-huh. Yep, you can sign up on the website if you're interested. So it's um, <coughs> the website Shambhala, is that it, or? Uh, Shambhala.or.th. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Maybe you guys, do you think you guys can put up a link to the, uh, yeah. to the, um, especially about, especially about that training, it'd be really cool, great if you guys could link to that. Can you tell me the stories about like the one you said like awaken from autopilot and into the pursuit of Shambhala and then go back to the autopilot mode? <laughs> I want to know like why he chose to go back into the No, it's not a story, it's my just my own experience, you know, is that and a lot of people's experience too, is that you know, the habitual patterns are so strong, you know, that we have moments of, you know, of you know, um, recognizing our sanity and really being, you know, in our wisdom, and then, you know, like, it's like hard to say what happens, right? But then we just kind of like go back into our habitual patterns. So this is just the human condition, I think, you know, is it just works like that, you know? We've been doing this, think of it this way, okay? Um, 
Samsara is like an endless eternity of lifetimes, and you've been alive in various forms for an endless eternity. <laughs> and in that eternity, you know, you've taken on some very some habits, you know. And it's not just this life; it's been going on for a long time that you've had this kind of pattern of habits, you know. And it's gotten you into this position that you're in right now, which is a very fortunate um, position, by the way. Don't forget that. This is what it says about precious human life. So it's not easy to be born as a human being. It's not easy to be born as a human being and to hear the Dharma and to have the opportunity to practice it. You know, so these are very, very fortunate circumstances that we're in right now. But you've been doing this habit, it's like, you know, that um, rut, you know, like, it's like when something grinds down and it keeps grinding and grinding and grinding and from rubbing over and over and over and over and over again for a long, long time, it gets a deep rut. And it's hard to get out of that deep rut because it's so habitual, you know, because it's so, so deep. That's our habits, you know, <clears throat> that's our patterns. So that's why not everybody becomes the Buddha. Not everybody can awake. There's been other awakened beings, other enlightened beings, according to this tradition, you know, the, other than the Buddha, but it's not, not that many, and it's not that easy, and definitely not everybody can do it, you know. Everybody can do it, I'm sorry. Everybody can do it because we all have the nature of um, that awakened uh, quality. Our Buddha, we all have Buddha nature, according to this, these teachings, this tradition. Knows they say different things in Theravada, but according to these teachings, they say we all have Buddha nature, we all have basic goodness, and everybody can awaken. The question is how motivated you are to do it, and how you know you actually apply yourself to it. So um, I'm new to this language um, actually, just only a couple of months, and when he was giving an introduction, I mean Dune, he mentioned about like it's actually two branches. I just learned today like uh, that Shambhala is another branch. So as a newbie who's interested interested in committing to this um, lineage, do we have to choose between Shambhala and the other one? Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 no, no, they're totally complementary. I mean, the way I learned it, they were they were side by side, you know. Okay. Yeah, there's absolutely no conflict between Shambhala and Vajrayana. Shambhala is a form of Vajrayana. Actually, it's Mahati. I mean, it's presenting us with the teachings from the highest, from enlightened, the enlightened point of view. It's top down, you know. Basic goodness is the view of um, Dzogchen, the great perfection. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, wait, 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 what? You <laughs> just gave me all of that from the very beginning? <laughs> Hold on a second here. <laughs> Let me get this right. Yeah, so um, not everybody gets it, though, you know. And But it is a complete path in and of itself, Shambhala teachings. But there's no conflict at all with Vajrayana. I'm, I practice both. And what I, what I learned and studied was just, we just did two together and I... I thought for a while I was more interested in Vajrayana and I didn't really realize what Shambhala was and I just kind of thought that stuff's just kind of like basic, you know, like that's for the beginners. I want to get into stuff where there's the skulls and the 
you know, like the, the demon heads and the, <laughs> the fiery red ladies and like all that kind of stuff, and that's cool, you know. Um, but the Shambhala stuff's really um, relevant, you know, just about how to live a life, how to live a decent, good life, uplifted life, and how to carry yourself, how, to, like I said, everything about the thing I was explaining tonight, you know. So I don't see any conflict between them. <laughs>